Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tan, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas, and thank you to everyone who is uh, tuning in today. We're back, the first real off weekend of 2023 for me. Uh, you know, it's been a long year. You know, you think about the season technically ended at Ironman, and then we have these brand new playoff rounds, SMX playoffs, which I thought were a success. You know, for there were lots of things, but successful in the end is a, is a great way to to surmise it. Riders made a lot of money. The attendance was good. I thought the point system played out to a T. You just couldn't have get, gotten a better outcome than that. With uh, you know, we talked about that, but three guys in both classes really, if they win, there's a you know, in the 250 they won no matter what, and if they won in the 450, Roxham just needed a little help. But uh, yeah, just what a fantastic season overall uh, for me personally. It was great. You know, I, I really taken steps towards goals that I've had being involved in the television production and hoping to continue those. It's looking pretty good. Uh, so, you know, those, those are dreams come true for me on a personal level, but also just for the sport to see the collaboration and both MX Sports and Feld Entertainment working together, which has never happened. Uh, they've always kind of coexisted at differing levels of you know, I don't think there was any like hard feelings, but it, it was just cold. The The temperature was cold between the two entities. And now it's never been warmer, right? They are work, truly working together. They're, you know, in one giant championship. They're all at every race together. Uh, it, it's just great to see. It makes me really happy because I've been around the sport for so long and seen so many different variations of it. This is the healthiest I've ever seen it. Uh, so it's, it's a great thing. Um, you know, the, the points fund available to the riders and all that's it's all positives. You know, it's, it's really hard to find any negatives. And if you were scrambling to find one, if you were tasked with what, what was the difficulty come out of this? It's just the schedule. It, it's long, right? And I'm sitting here. I should probably be at Steve Mathis's ride day, but I'm burnt out. Um, I had some things this weekend that I really wanted to be home for. And I have had to say no to literally everything all year long that people are like, Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. I didn't want to say no this weekend. I actually wanted to hang on with my friends and do fun things. And you know, it, it's a bummer. I'm sure Steve is going to have a great weekend. We had representation for fly racing there already with uh, Damon Bradshaw and Weston Pike. So that was kind of sorted for me. It took some pressure off of me. Um, but yeah, I, I knew I needed a break and sometimes you just have to listen to your body and, and what your mind is telling you. And I have not done a great job of that always, but I'm also dedicated to what I'm doing and I want to take advantage of opportunities. So this was a chance for me to say no to one thing and say yes to another for once. And I did it. 
before we get into what happened at the Motocross of Nations, and that's what this podcast will center around today, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast who have always been there, and I really appreciate them for supporting this. Pirelli Tires, Guts, Guts Racing, uh, Plum Creek Funding, Concept Coatings Design Company, Works Connection, International Vet MX Series, Pro Glow Wash, TL Speed Shop, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them, uh, and I'll touch on a detail or two on each of those later on. But yes, we were in France. Uh, for those who were with me, you know what that entails. The, the travel is difficult, um, but I would say incredibly worth it. Uh, that area of the world, Normandy, France, is so important to the history of the world. And I don't say that. Like, that's a pretty, pretty bold statement, right? It's a really uh, outsized statement to make, but I don't see how you could look at it any other way. When you think about D-Day, uh, you know, the Omaha Beach landing, and, and there are four or five separate beaches there in Normandy where the Allies landed. If you don't know much about it, I highly suggest learning. If you ever get the chance to visit there, don't hesitate. Do it. Uh, it, it will change how you view, you know, I, I would say how you view your own life because you think about what people went through and sacrificed and the amount of death that happened there to ensure that the world wasn't going to go down a, a nastier path than it was already going down. This is one of the, the ugliest times in human civilization was World War II. And people made the ultimate sacrifice, thousands of them on that day, on that beach. Uh, and it's just something that everyone, I think, should take a moment and remember, and if you ever get a chance to go there, as I said, do it. Go to the museums, just like I did. I'd already been before. I went in 2015, but I went again. And it is such a humbling experience. And you think about the problems that you face every day, which everybody has problems. And some are more serious than others. But some of the, some of the small stuff, you just have to let go. Because in those moments, you go to these places like that. And I, I've been very fortunate to visit these historic sites around the world where Pivotal things happened to for the future of mankind, right? Berlin and and Normandy and all all over the world. You gotta be able to just let this this stupid stuff that you're stressing about and it's keeping you up at night. You gotta let it go because in the end, it doesn't really matter. And I, I know I'm way off topic here, but I think it's very important uh, to remember these things because for me to go to a race in France in 2023 and in have such a great time and spend time with friends. And, you know, there wasn't stress like, oh, yeah, we had to drive and the flight was long. Oh, yeah, those are not big problems, right? Those are incredibly petty things to be stressing about when you think about what it took to allow those things to happen, to be able to travel freely around the world, to live in such a great country that we have and such a great event be able to be put on the Motocross of Nations. Uh, those things should not be taken for granted. So, um, I would just invite anyone to go there and learn about what happened there and the the before, the actual events there and what it led to uh, the success of that day and of that that entire invasion uh, of France to take France back and then you know the, the downfall of the the Nazi regime. Um, it is certainly worth spending a day, if not longer, just around there and seeing the museums. Okay, enough of that. The racing. I got to do, uh, I was in the booth again, and that is uh, something that I 
really enjoy. Um, you know, I've built this partnership with Infront, who is the owner of the MXGP series, and they have been great to me and super loyal as far as allowing me this opportunity. And I will continue doing as long as I'm able to. Um, I truly believe the Motocross of Nations is the biggest and most prestigious event on the calendar. The only thing that can come close is Anaheim 1. That, that's it to me. The atmosphere, the environment, the hype, the suspense, the uh, just happiness about everybody being there. There's no, I don't think everybody, anybody's dreading it at all. Um, and, and certain races throughout the year, people are, they're burnout. They don't want, they don't want to go. They have other, other things they'd rather be doing. A1 and Motocross Nations are the two where I think everybody is happy they went without a doubt. Uh, and it's just, you get into these countries like France where the, the atmosphere and the, the fans are so enthusiastic and they, you know, they're on home soil and they have what I would consider the best team. It's just very difficult to recreate that environment. I don't think you can as far as motocross goes, uh, it's just one of those things where you have to experience it. And, and I was very blessed to experience it again. It was awesome. Uh, there's just nothing, there's truly nothing like that race. What, and I don't care what country it's in. Motocross of Nations is, is in its own category. Um, now, as I mentioned, A1 has the same level of hype and all that, but it doesn't have the same atmosphere because it's not this... Uh, melting pot of cultures and different countries. It's not a team event where everyone's so patriotic. It's just different than that, right? Doesn't mean good or bad, different. It's just different. Um, but yes, if you ever get a chance to go, uh, it, I think we're coming back to America for that event in 2025. So 2024 announced Matterly at that event. But I believe, I feel pretty confident that 2025 We'll be back in the USA. Uh, we'll see where that ends up landing. I have a few ideas of where it might be. Uh, but yeah, we'll wait for, uh, for that to develop and shake out. But 2025 should be a great opportunity. Hopefully, we'll put our best forward with a team again in 2025 and uh, try to win on home soil. The race itself, going in, all the talk was about, on my end anyway, I'm sure other people had their own ideas, but I thought it was all about France and Australia. Um, you look at the teams on paper, and this event's crazy because the scoring, you have a drop score, and it's a team event and all these things. But I always kind of narrow it down to the teams that I think have a real chance uh, at winning the event. As long as things don't go crazy, people don't get hurt, it's not muddy, all those threat type things. And I really felt that France and Australia had the best two teams. Now, it played out that way. It's easy in hindsight for me to say, oh, yeah. Best two teams won. You, yeah, sure, great. You're so predictive, uh, but no, I, I, I think I was on record multiple times saying that those two were the best because I think you need to win motos and races, and you can't have a big liability on your team. And most of the teams out there had a liability, and you have to be careful about how you say those things, especially in the media, because people get their feelings hurt and whatever. And I'm not trying to insult anybody when I do that. Trust me, if I would have had ever made a team like that, I would have been the liability. I, I know that. It's not a personal thing. I'm trying to analyze it and say, okay, to win the event or be on the podium, you, you can't have this big hole in your lineup where they're going to throw a, a 22 on the board both times. Like That is really difficult to overcome as a team, and that's a significant part of it. You just have to, you have to put that in there. Whether people don't like it, eh, so what, right? It's, it's not that I'm trying to attack anybody. I'm trying to to talk about what the scores are going to look like. So as we go through these teams, 
you're going to hear me mention something like that. And that's exactly what I thought would happen. And many times it did. Um, that's just how the, this event works. And having gone to it so many times and watched it so many years before that, you, you learn what the dynamic is and what is likely to happen and why and how the slots fit in and, and all those things. It's, it's a very nuanced event in that way. Now for the winners, uh, France, they had the best team. They won by a lot of points. Uh, it was really never in question throughout the day, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Fevre didn't have his best weekend. Like that first moto was incredible. We all saw it, uh, him being able to pass Prado and win. It's probably a moto he'll never forget. But the rest of the weekend, I didn't think was that impressive for him, right? He is an incredible rider, multi-time world champion. Qualifier didn't go that well. And the second moto was, eh, so-so, I, I think, right? He didn't look that good. Uh, Albi Ferrado was giving him all he wanted and more. So I, I don't know. Um, solid. I mean, getting that number one score is huge for, for France. And, and he did enough. It just wasn't this banner day for, for Fevre, in my opinion. It was pretty good, but I don't think he left there happy. You know, happy for the team, happy they won all that. But deep down, that guy wants to win. He wanted to win the overall race, and he did not do that. So I don't, I don't think he was over the moon excited about his individual performance on, uh, on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, Maxime Renault, their MX Open rider, I thought he was, he was solid. He, he won his qualifier, uh, and he was good all day. Now, I, I think he was stressing in his, <clears throat> his first moto that uh, Tom Vial was so close to him. He looked like he was like, man, slow down. Like, why are you pushing me so hard trying to win uh, this moto? But I thought he was really good. Or was that the uh, – no, that was the second moto. Um, but he was solid all weekend. And Renault is a guy who I think everybody has underestimated the entire way. And he is – he's the real deal. Um, he is so confident in himself. That is one thing I've always learned about him, that he doesn't really care what you think. He knows what he's going to do. He believes in himself, and that's all that he really thinks about. He, like, if, if you want to doubt him, do so at your own peril uh, because he, he's not going to listen to it or buy into it. Uh, and I think he proved that again. He proved it at Redbud last year. He proved it again this weekend that he is, he is truly one of the best motocross riders in the world. I, I believe that. Now, can he stay healthy? Can he do the things it's going to take to win a world championship in MXGP? I don't know. Right, That's a different story. But I do think he's one of the best riders that there is purely in motocross, right? I just think he's – and he's still – he's young. He's, he's only getting better. He moved out of MX2 before he had to. So we have to remember that it, it's early for him. The development is still uh, ongoing and underway. Finally, Tom Vial, what a great day. Uh, you know, he had a so-so American debut in 2023. I don't think it was anything to write home about, but – he showed everybody what he can do and why KTM brought him over and what the expectation is. I think he'll be much better in 2024. Now that he knows the tracks, he's been through the calendar year once, he knows what to expect, and that is going to help him a lot, in my opinion. Now, does, is he a champion in motocross next year? I don't know, right? Deegan is phenomenal. Uh, Joe Shimoda, will, I think, will be great on the Honda, and we'll, we'll see who else takes the next step. But I do think Vial will be a factor uh, and we saw exactly why, right? He is he is absolutely capable of doing that. The Australians were the second best team, in my opinion, on paper. And it, it was because of a few things. Um, now, I believe Jet Lawrence is the best rider on earth. Uh, I would not shy away from telling anyone that. I just think that's a fact. Supercross, motocross, the combination of the two, the age, 
how bright his future is. I think he's, he's got it all. He is the complete package. Uh, he is, to me, the most marketable rider on earth at the moment and the best rider, uh, which is incredible. I'm a huge Jet Lawrence fan, if you couldn't tell. But he struggled a little bit throughout the weekend until that last moto, right? The starts weren't quite there. I think he was trying to figure out how to ride that track. It is such a unique racetrack. It's hard pack. It's got ruts on it. You never really are kind of flat, like you're always kind of turning on hillsides and things. It's a difficult racetrack to figure out. Um, you heard if you were there, you heard it throughout the weekend from every rider. It's like, man, the track is hard to ride. It is really tough to figure out. And I think he was a victim of that. And he, and he finally got it right in the end, right? The final moto, he figured it out and you saw what happened. He, you know, got a decent start and, and made a couple moves and off to the races he went because he's Jet Lawrence. That's who he is. That's what he does. He figures things out. You know, he's, uh, he's able to adapt. Um, it just may take him a minute, but that guy is phenomenal. He is just, he's the man right now. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Now, Hunter Lawrence was a question mark for me. Now, if you follow SMX, you know that he was injured and he was a, a maybe going into the race up until like a few days before. So that means he probably didn't ride much, if any. He was doing therapy nonstop. And he wouldn't be that sharp going into the weekend. Like, There's no way you could think that the same hunter that we saw at Chicago was going to be the same or at whatever race you want to pick where he was winning. He wasn't going to be that same guy in France. He, he was going to be less sharp. And I'm trying to think of another analogy. But you can't sit around and not be able to exercise and do your normal routine and practice and do all those things and stay on the razor's edge. He's been injured all summer. He's had these nagging injuries. So it's kind of a deterioration from the really peak level that we saw early on. And I think you saw that play out at Motocross Nations. Like he was pretty good, but he didn't shine. Like he couldn't go with Tom Vial or do any of those things. He didn't have that type of speed or that type of pace. But that's what you had to expect. You know, if you were paying attention, if you were kind of reading the tea leaves, you knew that this was likely going to be what Hunter had. He was going to give you a decent performance, try to stay healthy and not re-aggravate that injury. But it wasn't going to be some sort of breakout day, in my opinion. I just didn't think we should expect that, nor sh should anyone, uh, just because of the, the circumstances. That's, that's a part of what Australia was facing. Now, he's going to be better than anybody else they could get on the 250, and that's the important part, is you still take your best guy, even if he's not at 100%. The third guy was Dean Ferris, and I was a little worried about Ferris. Um, he's dominated in Australia this year, so that bodes well. But it wasn't so much that I was worried. I'll take that back. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I haven't really watched him race, to be fair. You hear that he's riding really well, um, and I also know that he's performed well at this race in the past. He does not shy away from the moment at this particular event. Think about his MX2 races he's had over the years. Like He can do it. I just wasn't sure what we were going to get. And he was okay. Like not bad, certainly good enough to get them second on the day. Um, so, you know, I'll give him, I'll give him an A. Like I, I didn't expect the world from him and he didn't let the team down either. Maybe on Saturday, if you want to say that he crashed out, but so what, you only need two scores, but he didn't let the team down. And that's all you could really ask for it. They simply weren't as good as the French team period. And that's, that's why they didn't win. It wasn't lack of performance, you know, versus their potential or anything like that. They just weren't as good. And second is the best that I'll show he's ever done. And they should be proud of it. I, I do think they have a chance to win down the road. Uh, they have, because Jet's going to be dominant and Hunter 
will be a great MX Open guy on the 450, and we'll see what they can bring for a 250 guy. But I, I do think they could put up a winning team uh, very, very soon. They have that potential. on their, They're going to need their best day, and they're going to need a really good MX2 ride from someone. But uh, I'll show you as a country on the rise as far as this stuff goes. Now, the Italians, I did not have as a podium contender. I really did not. Um, you look at how the team was going. They lost Mattia Guadagnini at, towards the end. They had to have Andrea Bonacorsi fill in. So it's kind of a team in flux, right? They've lost Tony Caroli, who was their anchor for so many years because he retired. Uh, Lupino was uh, a big part of that team at times. He was on the winning team in 2021. So it was like a team you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like Ferrado is really taking steps forward. So maybe he was going to break out. Bonacorsi has never raced a 450 at this stage ever. So you don't know what that's going to look like. And then Adamo is really the guy that like, maybe he can do it. Maybe he can lead this thing because he's your MX2 world champion in 2023. But I was kind of like shrug my shoulders. I don't know. And then they get it done. You know, they, there were opportunities, right? We'll get into why, but. You have to take your just your hats off to the Italians for making the most of an opportunity. They were really solid. They did not have results. They were like, oh, that's why, right? There's That guy won a moto. That guy's a podium. It wasn't that type of day. It was more just solid results. They didn't have a guy that went like 21, 28. That's what will kill you if you're trying to get on the podium. They were just hanging around. Top 10, top 12. That's where they were all day long. And when you... When you rack up the points at the end of the day and you drop a score, if you put some fives and sevens and nines on the board and you get into that 30, 40, 30, 40 point range, you're going to find yourself on the podium several years, you know, most often at this race. Now, there's going to be outlier years where everybody's super strong, but that was not this year. Um, And yeah, good job. I have have nothing but uh, kudos and accolades to bestow upon the Italians. Uh, Spain was... And now we're going to get into some of these countries where, you know, they got whatever, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, who cares, right? Once you're off the podium, I don't think many people care that much what the necessarily the score is. Now, I'm sure they care, but they're not going to get headlines. No one's going to really remember, in my opinion. The podium, countries count, and then everybody else is like, okay, what happened? Like, what was the individual scores throughout those and what is there to talk about? Germany and Spain were in there. Germany was fourth. That's a, that's a really nice job from them. But they had the liabilities. These countries had liabilities that kept them off the podium that I mentioned before. And those are the things you have to worry about. And you always going in, you're like, man, this is going to be like, this guy's going to have to really bring it today because on paper, he's going to be the biggest challenge. Like he could be our downfall. And, and I, that's such a negative connotation. And I don't mean it that way, but in an analysis and just, uh, you know, if you're like doing ones and zeros on coding, there's no emotion in that. This is just how it played out on the day. And that's what happened. Like Germany, uh, Tom Koch or Tom Cook, as they would say, however you want to pronounce it. He was that guy for Germany. He just couldn't get the scores up there to really nail it. And it wasn't awful, you know, but you need for him to have like a breakout day and be like seven, eight, nine, ten. And he had, I think he had one twelfth in a moto, which was okay. Uh, and to that same effect, Simone Langenfelder did not have a good day either. And you needed Langenfelder to come through. This is a guy that can win MX2 races. Like, he is that good. He was your points leader at one at one time in the series. And he just wasn't able to shine 
when they needed him because Roxon did his part. He won the MXGP overall. He did everything you could ask him to do and more on the day. And then the other two kind of just didn't. And they still got fourth. It's, it's not like they put in a terrible performance, but when you get Roxon have a day like that, everybody else is like, man, we got to rise to the occasion. Like our team leader is getting it done. We can't be the weak link. And that's, that's why they weren't on the podium. You know, that the Italians made it happen and the Germans outside of Roxon didn't. Um, and that, that's just how this, this thing goes. Spain, I really thought had a chance to be a, a player. You look at their team on paper, Jorge Prado is your reigning MXGP world champion. Ruben Fernandez is capable. He is so damn good, but he crashes a lot. That's just a fact. He is wild and loose and unpredictable, and that's what you got from him on Sunday. Uh, really fast, capable of battling to win motos, but also just eating crap and flying off the racetrack twice, right? Both motos, he had big crashes when they needed him to perform, and he was performing. You can't throw. You can't do that if you're that guy and on that stage. You have to be solid. If you want your team to really succeed, and that that was their downfall. Prado did his part. He was really good all weekend long. I think he'd prove to everyone just how good he is. And the rest of Spain just couldn't come through. Uh, Fernandez crashed himself into oblivion. And uh, Oriol Oliver, who you could say it's not a fair ask, right? He was thrown in at the last minute. He has no real experience on this stage. He's He's really young, okay? So I'm not trying to come down on Oliver at all. But he was a weak link of this team, and everybody knew it, and his results spoke to that as well. Like, he didn't outperform the expectation on the day. So Spain was, to me, if you want to look at a team that underperformed their potential the most, maybe that's who I would point to, honestly. Um, I just thought they had a real chance to be on the podium, like a legit. They were actually my pick for the podium. And, uh, yeah, they just didn't, they didn't make it happen. The Dutch team... Really tough break. Uh, when you lose a rider on Saturday and you have to go into Sunday without your team captain, who should be Jeffrey Hurling. So that's two guys they lost. You know, Hurling's never signed up, we know. But then Koldenhoff is a guy who's always excelled at this event, and you're counting on him. Like, you need Glenn to be his best. And he crashes on Saturday and is out for the weekend. And now you have two guys going in, so you're done, right? And now it's all about individual performance. And can you just have a really strong day? They didn't really do that either. It was okay. Um, it was decent, but Kaida Wolf nor Calvin Vlander had a, a crazy good day. They really weren't winning anything or in the battle at the front. So, yeah, overall, just uh, just a tough weekend for the Dutch. Uh, one, you know, a forgettable motocross of nations, to be sure. And that's two two times. Remember 2018, Calvin Vlander took a rock to his eye and cost them a chance at winning. They should have won that day pretty easily in my opinion. And uh, yeah, that's, so that's two out of five, five or six years now where they've, they've run into some really, really bad luck. Uh, the Belgians, this is going to be a team that you need to watch because going in, they were really young. You look at their team of uh, Everts, Lucas Kunin, and Yago Geertz. They're all super young. Yago's 22, Kunin's 16, and Liam Everts is 19 or 19, 20, something like that. So they're crazy talented and crazy young. And the future is going to pay dividends for them because they're only going to get better. I think Kunin this weekend was really the one that let me down the most. I had high expectations. That kid is going 
to be, he's going to do great things in this sport. He will be in America soon. I think 2025, you could count on Kunin coming to America. But I, I thought he really underperformed the day. Um, this was a chance for him to break out on a world stage. And for those who didn't know much about him, to learn about him really quickly. And uh, yeah, it just didn't go that way for him. Uh, it just really was never a factor at any point throughout the weekend. But I will say that I thought Liam Everts did a great job. That's third place in that mo- second moto on the 350, um, I thought was very, very strong. He was able to beat Andrea Adamo, hold him off. And I just thought it spoke to the progress he's made. He, he's much better than I thought he was going to be. Um, everybody was so high on him. He got a factory ride. I was like, eh, we'll see, right? The pedigree's there, of course. He's a third generation. Like, you know, his dad, his dad and granddad are two of the biggest legends of the uh, of the sport. So that obviously sets up nicely. But I just watched him and I was like, yeah, there's, there's definitely potential. Like, he's really talented, but I don't know. Like, we'll see. Um, I think that is progressing. Like, I need to give him more credit than I have been giving him. And, and clearly, he's getting better at a rapid pace. So, he could be world champion. He really could. He's up against some strong competition uh, in that MX2 class. And it's almost like who breaks out, right? Because they're all young. Who develops the quickest? Who has a solid year? Uh, but I do think he is going to be in that in that conversation in a big way for 2024. Uh, but the Belgians with Yago leading on the 450. Yago didn't have his best day, right? You think about Redbud, how good he was on the, his first go around on the 450. This wasn't that type of day, but also these conditions are not ideal for Yago. He is much better on softer conditions in the sand uh, than a track like this. Now he's, he's okay. It's not like he's terrible at it. It's just not conditions where he's going to shine. It's not going to be his best, the best setup for him to really have a breakout day. But I'm telling you, watch out for the Bel- team Belgium moving down the line. I do think in two years, three years, maybe next year, I don't know. At some point, you're going to be like, wow, Belgium is really strong at this event. Like, that's the team we all need to be worried about. The Swiss, I didn't plan on talking about the Swiss in this podcast at all, but they deserve it. Uh, Sixth place, kind of coming out of nowhere a little bit. But Jeremy Sewer's the real deal. He's absolutely a MXGP superstar. But the other guys, Guillaume and Tonis, Tonis did nothing, okay? Now, Tonis is a really nice guy, but contribution-wise to the sixth place, he really didn't do anything. Uh, He was more of a liability than a contributor. Uh, He didn't have a good day at all riding the 250. Uh, But the other two guys really did. Good job to both Seward and Tona. Sixth place is really something to be proud of. Now let's get to the USA, and this will be the last team that we cover. Um, You know, there were people that were complaining about me air quotes around making excuses for the USA. I wasn't. Uh, this race is not about excuses. You either perform or you don't. It's a zero-sum game. You either show up and you put your best foot forward or you don't and you get a bad result. That's how it is. Everyone rides the same track. No doubt about that. I'm, I'm totally understanding and in agreement on that. I was more trying to just explain why I thought Team USA would struggle and what those circumstances are. Like, why does it feel that way? Why did I expect for Team USA to have a tough day? And, and what are they up against? The challenge that they face is not, it's not something that should be swept under the rug, right? You can't just say, well, Team USA sucked. You have to look at more the why and to understand why the USA has not been as dominant at this event as they used to be. 
And I think there's a few things. The MXGP talent level has risen. They've gotten much better. They've developed their bikes. They've developed their talent. There's a really deep list of riders in MXGP on a, that are competitive globally, much more so than there was 10 or 15 years ago. There, that is just factual. I've raced over there during that time. I raced here. I went to these races. I, that is something that you could never convince me otherwise of because I was in it. I was there. I was in the midst of these guys racing against lots of them in the off season. Uh, the USA just had a, a huge edge on talent and, and skill, and they don't anymore. It is much a much more level playing field globally than it used to be. Now you factor in also going to Renee and this track. It is a really tough ask to beat those guys on a track like that. We don't race on tracks like that often, right? Maybe High Point-ish could be considered somewhat close, maybe Unadilla. But for what our guys practice on, it's nothing like that. We don't practice on tracks with rock hard base with muddy ruts and off camber and that is not what our guys practice on we'll go watch instagram and see what alden baker's practice track is like mtf the sandbox uh wherever these guys ride south of the border club mx wherever your favorite rider practices it looks nothing like that it's sandy with a mix of clay really good traction bumpy but not that type of rough that they face where it's like square edged bumps it is just a very big diversion from what our guys ride on all the time. And that is not an excuse. That is a reason. There is a difference between those two. I don't care whether the USA won or not. I, I don't. You know, like I, I felt like at Redbud, our best team proved a point. Going into this, we didn't have the number one pick in any of the three classes, in my opinion, right? So to expect them to win or be on the podium – when each class didn't have the first pick off the board, I mean, maybe you could argue AP, but I wouldn't say so. I would say it would be Sexton Tomac and Justin Cooper again, right? And, and we have injuries across the board, and we took a team. I'm glad they wanted to go. I applaud all of them for putting their hand up, but this was not the best team we could put on the, on the track. That is just – that's just facts. That's not – something anybody should be upset over a comment. What that is just a fact. We took the best team we could put together, but not the best team possible. And you look at the conditions, you look at the way the track set up. Our guys didn't ride. They didn't have their best day. Uh, AP had, I thought he rode really well in his first moto on Sunday. Congratulations. That was a, a really strong performance. He should be proud of that ride. His second moto, not so much. And I think he would be the first one to tell you that. RJ couldn't stay off the ground all weekend. He just could not stay upright. Sometimes it was his fault, sometimes not. Um, but that's the RJ experience, right? Really fast, lots of excitement, but also rough and tumble. And you're going to have to live with, live with that dynamic if you're on Team RJ. That's just what it's going to be. And then for Christian Craig, he hasn't raced since April. So you're going to ask him to race a motocross race on a Husky 450, by the way, he's, which he's never done. He's never raced that motorcycle in a motocross race of any kind. You're going to have, ask him to race his second time in Europe. He raced the Paris Supercross, which is nothing like this. So he's got to learn European motocross. And then he's got to come off the couch from being injured all year to race this race too. So the, the ask from him was monumental, right? When somebody told me, the first person told me it's going to be Craig, I was like, oh, that is so brutal to that what that is he's up against all those things is what I immediately thought about. 
So for Christian, I didn't have any expectation at all. I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't overly thrilled. Um, I just was like, man, that's going to be tough. So whatever you can put together, man, hats off. It's going to be a really hard weekend, I think, and a lot of adapting and doing the best job that you can. Uh, to put any expectation on Christian, I don't believe would be fair at all. And if you went in saying, like, leaving the day going, man, he, he, you know, any of these guys let us down, that, I, I think that's on you. Like, you just got to let it go and understand that it was always going to be difficult. It was an uphill climb, in my opinion, from day one. This race, this track, this team, uh, I just, that's how I felt, right? We didn't go in early. We didn't do some of the things that I, I think are sets up best for success, like have a test day in France on like Wednesday. Maybe you could say Thursday, sometime that week, shake the bikes down, go to a track that's really hard pack, let them acclimate a little bit. I think that helps. Our team didn't do that this year for a myriad of reasons. There's no finger pointing that needs to be done, but they didn't do that, right? So their first time going out there was on Saturday. I don't think that's the best way to go about this this event, uh, but that's not for me to say. I don't, I don't have adult, you know, like whatever, do what's best for the team. And I'm sure there are people that wanted to do that. And I know there were riders that said no to the race because they couldn't do that. There's one rider in particular that said, oh, you're, you're not going to ride in country the week of the race and give us our best chance to no, I'm out like that was a thing that happened. Um, so yeah, it's, you, you could point to a million different reasons, not excuses why America didn't do better. And they're all valid and that's okay. Like we were the best, the eighth best team or whatever we got on the day. And that, that's all right. I can live, I can live with that dynamic. Next year may not be any better. I think we'll have more available riders. Like maybe Sexton can go. I think Deegan might go. Hopefully Tomac's healthy, right? We, we could put a, a really good team on the track in Matterly. It doesn't mean we're going to win. You know, it could rain buckets in Matterly. It freaking rains there all the time. Um, but I, I do think you know, there are better days ahead for Team USA. Uh, this was just a tough year. You know, you go down the list of riders that said no for one reason or another, whether they wanted to or not. We left a lot of talent on the table as far as who we took to this race. And, and I, maybe I shouldn't say talent because that's not Christian Craig's fault. He is incredibly talented. Um, but you just look at what the potential team was and what we put on the racetrack. And it, it's, yeah, you, you get what you get. You know, it's just what you should expect from the day. Uh, I'm not, I have no regrets. I'm not mad. I was, you know, typically we leave there. We don't do well. I'm not a happy person. Uh, very discontent. I wasn't, I wasn't on Sunday at all. This is kind of what I expected. Um, and if that has a negative sound to it, I'm cool with that. This is what I expected to happen in the end. I thought we would be somewhere between four and eight. We finished on the bottom end of that range. Fair enough. But that's what I expected. I did not think we had a podium team on that track. Now, if we raced at Redbud, sure, where that team we took would be in podium contention. I firmly believe that. Now, could we win? Probably not, but we would be in podium contention at Redbud or Buds Creek or something like that. I, I I do think that is that is reality. I think RJ would have been the best MX2 rider at a track like Buds Creek. Maybe Vial has something to say, but maybe not. Um, RJ can win in the USA against Vial or whoever, Hunter, I don't care. Um, but that's not what this track was. This track was not Bud Creek. It was not Red Bud. It was not Paula. It wasn't any, it, it wasn't Hangtown. It wasn't any of those things. It's its own unique animal. And I think 
If you were watching, you saw why. Maybe you didn't understand what you were seeing, but you saw it. And those riders, you talked, listen to the interviews from those guys. Listen to them talk about the racetrack, how different it was than anything they'd ever raced on. That's what, that's what these guys face all the time. The adaptability of the MXGP riders is far greater than the USA riders. We don't practice on tracks like that. We don't race on tracks like that. We have a very specific skill set that we have developed. Supercross, really good at motocross, but very specific conditions. Lots of traction, lots of track prep. We're great at that. We're the best in the world at it, in my opinion. Tracks like Ernay, or if we had gone to Luckett or St. John D'Angeli, or lots of different places that I could that I could name. Majora, Majora's pretty solid. Like I don't think Majora is necessarily that much of an outlier. But a lot of these tracks are very unique. Things that our our team would never ride on, never face. They just, you know, maybe they would ride it one day a year because they had to go there. Like it's just not something we would develop skills for repetitively. And it is something the French. That's what they grow up riding, right? If you go to the south of France where these guys grew up, uh, Renault and these guys. That's what they ride. Rocky, hard pack, slippery. You need lots of throttle control and use body English to find traction, all those things. That's just not what America, American motocross is these days. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just what it is. You can, you can have your own opinion of if that's good or bad. I don't, you know, that's for you to decide, uh, but I can absolutely diagnose where our skills are in a track like Ernay, not it. So what does that tell me? If we took our best team, I don't know that we win. I don't. Like, I think we're in the, in the conversation. I absolutely think we're on the podium. Uh, our team would have beaten the Italians, no questions asked. But I don't know if we beat the French team. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Right? Because I think Vial wins his MX2 class. Fevre had a pretty good day. I don't think – I don't know if he beats – if Sexton or Tomac beat Fevre in that first moto. Maybe. Uh, the third moto, there was some opportunity there. We know that. But Jet would have been hard to deal with for anybody. Um, but I'm just telling you that French team, it wasn't an all-time French domination type performance, but it was pretty damn solid. There weren't many holes in their game. Uh, so in the end, kudos to uh, kudos to the French team. Thank you for everybody listening. Uh, you know, we'll keep the podcast going, of course, through the off season. And thank you to the sponsors, Pirelli Tires. Check out that Diablo Super Corsa SPV4, new street tire. Guts Racing, check out their, all the things they have for power sports and e-bikes. Plum Creek Funding, mortgage rates are skyrocketing. It's out of control, right? People are paying over 8% now. Um, historically, it's not a huge deal. But for anyone under 50 years old, you're probably like, holy crap, or under, especially under 40. You're like, what the hell is going on? But yeah, it's expensive to borrow money. Like that is a, that's a, that's a, th- that's a thing that's going on. That's why people are in the loan businesses because it, you can make money lending money. And that, that time is now and only going that more in that direction. Concept Coatings Design Co. They do Cerakote anodizing, laser engraving, and they're going to have that full race shop set up in Temecula. So if you are a privateer, if you know a privateer, if you're maybe just going to California for the winter to get out of the snow, hit up Concept Coatings Design Co. and get your uh, race booth spot, right? You have your own race shop set up uh, space at their facility. It's going to be a really, really cool dynamic. I'm going to try to go there sometime this winter and, uh, and and take some photos so I can post up and share with that. Because I, I just think it's a, a beautiful idea. Uh, first time that Benji told me about it, I was like, man, this is awesome. Because I put myself in that spot and I would have killed to have that opportunity when I was racing. Works Connection, 
Eric Phipps and his team, uh, just great people. They are great motocross people. They are long storied in this sport. They've been a part of Factory Honda forever and ever. Steve Lampson got them on board and they've been there ever since. That was like 1990 or 91 that relationship started. Monster Energy, uh, Star Racing Yamaha, they use Pro Launch Start Device as well. All these teams use this starting device for a reason. It's the best one, period. End of story. That's why they use it. So why would you use anything else? Pro Glow Wash, Ryan Humphrey, I get to see him in two weeks. Going to go down to Dallas and visit uh, he and his family. That'll be a really good time. But Pro Glow Wash has a Power Sports formulated wash. Uh, and, and you should check it out, right? If you have a dirt bike or street bike, which you do, that's why you're listening. Why would you buy anything else than Pro Glow Wash? It's specially formulated for your favorite activities. International Vet MX Series, their calendar is done for 2023, but if you're making plans for 2024, keep them in mind. They're going to have a whole brand new calendar come out, and I will share that information with you when it does. But great series they have. Vet rider-minded, right? Think lots of laps. Think lots of track time. Three motos over the course of two-day weekends. Uh, they have live music a lot of times on Saturday night. It's just a great, great experience. And uh, you can spend your whole weekend at the racetrack with like-minded people. That's what it's all about. TL Speed Shop. One thing I wanted to note on TL Speed Shop, you can fully customize your ride. It doesn't have to be something that they've done in the past. It doesn't have to be like one of you know like their uh, templated rides. If you have an idea, they can knock it out. Right. That's what is it, it's a really flexible program. So you say, hey, guys, you have all the equipment. We want to go to X. Right. We want to go to Southern California and ride moto. And then we want to do that. Like They can they can do all of that. Right. They're open to ideas because they have all of the necessary tools and equipment to make it happen. So reach out to TL Speed Shop if you have a cool idea like that. I just don't want people to think that you have to fall into one of their particular rides. You don't have to do that. You can do whatever you want. That's a great thing. They're they're. 100% open to ideas. Grandstone Boots, wore mine last night. What a great product. What a great company. Check it out. They are about to launch a women's Chelsea boot. Uh, that's a, a brand new, exciting development. They keep coming out with new products. Um, and and it, just to watch that company and that product grow over time, it's been inspiring because they're doing it the right way. So thank you to Grandstone Boots. And Fly Racing, where I'm at every day, um, obviously spend most of my time thinking and working on Fly Racing themed ideas and uh, thank you to them for always having my back thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon 